T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This is Metroscope, an Intercom Radio Portland public affairs program. I'm Gary Bloxham. We all know that homelessness in the Portland area is a big issue, and there are organizations tackling this problem, and one of those is Union Gospel Mission. On Metroscope today, I would like to welcome Bill Russell. Bill is the executive director of the Union Gospel Mission in Portland. Hey there, Bill. Hey, Gary. How are you? Well, I'm doing good. How are you? It's always complicated here. (laughs) (laughs) You've got a busy job. It is. You know, it really is complicated, too. I know a lot of people who are listening today look at homelessness, they think of Union Gospel Mission, and think of homelessness, and it is a complex problem. And anyone who thinks they're not, it's not, then I I just want to talk to them for a little while. Well, let's, too, talk about that. Why do people think it's not complicated, and why is it so complicated? I I think people project upon other people their skills and abilities. So I hear people ask, why don't the homeless just get a job? And I would say well over 70% of the people who visit the mission today for services are unable to work a job, either through physical disability or mental illness, or uh, if, if you're addicted to a substance like heroin, you're just not going to be able to navigate a job. So then you say, well, why don't the heroin addicts get off heroin? I think that's a great thing. We have disincentivized the getting off of heroin in Oregon because we've reduced heroin possession from a felony to a misdemeanor. Uh, but I think when people get to that tipping point, they need to get off heroin. It's a horrible way to live. They need to get off methamphetamines. It's a horrible way to live. Or if someone is disabled by alcoholism, they need to get off of it. And and that's certainly a lot of what we do, uh, catch incentivized people who want to get off of a substance and get off of it. The mentally ill, it's a little tougher uh, because we are near the top of the states in terms of the scope of the problem. I I don't know why the Pacific Northwest and and Alaska has a high degree of of mental illness incidents and alcoholism, but we do. Maybe it's the rain and the clouds. I don't know. But I know that we're among the top with the incidence of mental health, but we're near the bottom of the states in terms of a mental health delivery system. And so, and, and it's just tougher to get psychotic, profoundly mentally ill people who are on the streets off the streets. They walk away from help. They're service resistant. And so it's complicated. It's not an easy fix. Um, a lot of people say, well, if the problem is homelessness, why don't we just build housing? And th- there's actually a lot of people and, and some really solid policy built around housing first. But uh, if people walk away from that housing or they make life for the other residents in that housing uh, unacceptable and unsafe, then we got a problem. So that's why I say homelessness, we all are frustrated by it. It seems to be growing at a rapid pace, but uh, it's not an easy fix. Absolutely. So do you see it still growing at a pretty rapid pace? And when... Is there any projection when things might kind of start to turn around a bit? No, I I don't see any turnaround. The uh, opiate epidemic, uh, there's hope in uh, in medically assisted treatment of of, uh, 
opiates, but if the demographic that's presenting the problem, younger people, uh, continue to get addicted at a record rate, then um, the problem, the, the solution to the problem is when they get tired of being heroin addicts and, or when the criminal system forces them to get tired of being a heroin addict. So that's going to go up for a while. And then probably one of the most troubling part of the homeless population are people over 60. And the demographics of that, the number of people in the baby boom generation who are turning 65 without more than $10,000 in equity and with less than $1,000 in Social Security benefits, that demographic, that's about 4,000 people a day, that's not going to end for 15 years. And so you just multiply 4,000 times 365 times 15, and there's quite a few people that are going to be entering homelessness and unable to um, deal with the housing market. And so we have to, we have to be looking at more solutions than spending a quarter of a billion dollars to build a door of housing or just temporary shelters. And uh, every, every one of us in this field wants to transition people out of neighborhoods, out of unsafe and unsanitary homeless camps, and into a good, productive life. And so we're looking to maximize that, and that's why we do events that engage people, because we believe if we care for people and connect to people without enabling them or without hurting them, we can coach them to a better life. But, uh, you know, it, it, it takes a lot to do that, and I'm happy to be about that business. We're talking today with Bill Russell, Executive Director of the Union Gospel Mission. Now, Bill, how many uh, people does the Gospel Mission serve? Well, uh, at Operation Overcoat, uh, which is the last Saturday of September, we're going to serve somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 people that day who come to us for help. But on a typical day, we will serve about 300 people who come to the mission. On, On a big day, we'll serve about 500 people. And then we also go out to homeless camps and reach people outside the mission by visiting them and, and, and trying to move them out of uh, a, a sad life into a happier life. And, and we're able to, to do that to some extent. What services does the mission provide? Uh, well, at the mission itself, we operate a, a feeding program, our first, the first leg of our purpose statement since we were founded in 1927 is meet that basic need for food. So our first wing is feeding the home, feeding the hungry. And, you know, in, in cold, desperate weathers, keeping people alive means bringing them inside or giving them warm clothing or sleeping bags. But it's pretty much providing life essentials. And we do that, um, you know, tomorrow morning at 6.30, we'll have a hot breakfast that'll be attended by probably 250, 300 people. Uh, and, and again, on Friday. And then other days, we provide portable meals. And then we have lunch. And then we have dinner. And then we have a whole group of people who've come on come off the streets, and they enter into responsibility-based recovery. And we call that life change. And and we have somewhere about uh, 80 men, women, and children who are off the streets and living in that transformational program. And and those are the the big tents. Um, There's a lot of particular needs that the homeless have, like for clean socks or new underwear, and uh, we, we do that a lot. Tell me more about life change. This is something that you personally started with the Union Gospel Mission, right? Yeah, I mean, I was a, I was a prosecutor back in the day, back in uh, the early 80s, and I certainly saw the carnage that substance abuse and untreated mental illness have, and people who just don't want to merge in and be productive. They want to 
earn a living um, off of your hard work. And so whatever uh, the presenting problem, I began putting uh, programs together in the 70s in Seattle and over in the Rocky Mountain region that would uh, bring about transformation in a person's life. And so we're always looking at, at three things. How do you bring a supportive spiritual community into a person's life? How do you bring livable wages into their life? How can, how can you get them up to speed to do what, what we're doing right now, Gary? We're working a living, we're making our wage, and we're paying our bills. And then the third thing is how do you get them to select safe, livable housing? not living in an environment that's going to provoke uh, bad behavior or be unsafe. And so uh, Life Change works on those things. And honestly, the day a man comes into Life Change, we had a guy come into Life Change this week. He's working a, a, an eight-hour day today. He's working a 40-hour week today. And you know what? He's going to feel more productive and happier with himself. We're going to give him a job he can do this week because he might be still uh, chemically um, coming off the after effects of detox, and it might be hard for him, but he's going to feel a whole lot better about himself by being part of a group of men who are being productive, and that's going to start feeling a whole lot better than life on the streets felt. And so that's where life change starts, and it ends when he's working an outside job, living in quality housing, and has a really positive, influential group, a support group around him. Congratulations to him. And, and you must hear, succeed, and hear and see success stories like that all the time. No question. I mean, I, I almost take them for granted, but it, it's thrilling to see someone uh, come out of a homeless camp. Uh, it could be, uh, you know, Misty or friend Dave. They, they both came out of, uh, she influenced him to come out after months after she came out. They weren't boyfriend and girlfriend, but they knew each other. And Misty's just a rock star. She came into our Women's Life Change program. She's back in touch with her whole family. She's very productive. She's been in recovery now for, for nine months. I mean, it's great to see. And then she's looking ahead to all these women who have graduated and who are doing fabulously. They're working great jobs. They are uh, caring for their children. They're paying taxes. They're part, vibrant parts of churches or other support groups. And it's good. You know, they can experience that and see it, so it encourages them. And, and to me, it's a, it's a whole connected ladder of people who started this week or who are, uh, like Lori, uh, you know, 24 years down the road off the streets, 30 years down the road off the streets and doing great. How do people that need your services find you? Uh, it's it, For women, it's different than men. Men, we have a, a walk-up site right down at the Mission downtown, 3rd and Burnside. If you know of someone, a loved one who is remote from that, maybe they're out of area, they can begin to call us and contact us on our website, which is ugmportland.com. So UGM, like Union Gospel Mission, Portland, because there are other Union Gospel Missions, so it's ugmportland.org. I think I said .com. It's .org. We're a nonprofit organization. And so they can go on our website, and on our website, they can look at the uh, Get Help um, site on there, and they can navigate toward men's or women's life change. What women do, because there's such a demand for our women's services, and we are, we're, we're mostly filled with the guys all the time, but we're always filled with the women, uh, they have to call out 
to our women's center on Tuesday morning if they want to um, try to get in to uh, women's life change. And so um, I, I feel horrible about that. I would love to have unlimited space, but if they call 503-802-2271 on Tuesday at 10 o'clock, they can see and, and begin getting on the, uh, the access list. Um, every once in a while, someone can get through and, and their situation's urgent enough they can get in that day. But a lot of times they might have to call back a, a week later. And um, it, it's, it's great to see it when it happens. It's always heartbreaking because so many women are living in unsafe uh, places that I want to have a place for all of them to get in and find a place. But in our region, you know, Multnomah County had a no woman turned away policy a few years ago. And there are simply so many women in need, we, the county can't fulfill that policy because there aren't enough beds for all the women in need. And so we need to build more. And we're working to double the size of our uh, women's life change and build a new facility that can that can serve twice the women. And we're, we're working hard to do it, but we're probably still two and a half, three years away from opening that. Wow. What keeps you doing what you do? I love it. I mean, I, I'm a hopeful person. Um, it's easy to see the problem and get cynical. And I think when I was a trial lawyer and when I was a deputy prosecutor, I was really in danger of getting uh, cynical about it. And But then you see one person turn around and you, it gives you hope that you can offer that turnaround to someone else. And once that kind of becomes a pump, once, once people are, are peer engaging and they're serving as peer mentors to people on the street, uh, you know, some of the best recruiters in the world are people who used to be on the street. Mm-hmm. And they can attest to the value of coming in. Because I, I think people on the street tend to be distrustful. It's one of the common beliefs is that you can't trust anyone. And so if there's someone you, who has earned trust from you, uh, and they're telling you, this is a great place, come on in. Uh, then we create that more positive uh, scenario, and people start coming in. And, you know, today the reality is our, our women's center is full, and our men's center is pretty close to full. I mean, we might have one bed. But I gave the women's number for guys, just go online. You can find the uh, life information about men's life change, and you, and you can fill out an interest form and come down here. Or, or, or send in an application if your loved one's out of area. And, and we'll, we'll communicate with people on that basis. Over half our people come right out of homelessness. Um, and then some of the other people are, had been homeless and they're now out, but they're kind of falling back down and they don't want to fall all the way back to a homeless camp or they don't want to fall into jail. And so they uh, step into our place and it's great. Well, Bill, one thing I want to ask you about is the uh, Union Gospel Mission's Search and Rescue Program. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is a, a really interesting program, and I'll be totally honest with you. We didn't innovate this program. We didn't think it up ourselves. It came about up in Seattle, and Seattle had a horrible area called the Jungle, and there there were a couple of, of killings in there, and Seattle saying, what are we going to do? And Seattle's Union Gospel Mission started sending workers out uh, to uh, reach out to the people in the jungle. And they'd actually had people going around their neighborhood 
to bring food and hope uh, to people who were maybe a little remote from our uh, their downtown operation. And when I heard about it and saw it and visited, I said, wow, you know, Portland really needs that because I'd say somewhere about 2009, the number of people sh- who were homeless shifted in Portland from being primarily in the downtown core, particularly in Old Town Chinatown. It shifted to where the homeless really began in increasing number going out along the Max lines and out along the Springwater Trail. With a, uh, there's really the highest collection, I believe, of unsheltered homeless people in southeast Portland. And so uh, we thought, no, boy, now's the time to get out there and to take uh, care and connection and coaching out to people where they really want to see homelessness reduced. Um, and so people in in Lentz or people in, in Buckman or in Selwood or in the Mount Scott neighborhoods, you know, if you're not in one of those neighborhoods, you're going to see homeless people, and it can be kind of concerning or an annoyance, but uh, there are some neighborhoods, and maybe you're in one of them, uh, one of you listeners, where you're just overwhelmed, and nobody's happy about that. Nobody's happy when a pup up Portland Park or Aggression Park or some park in the Portland area has uh, used syringes from heroin addicts in it. Uh, we don't want our kids playing around used syringes. And, and nobody's happy when you see a big pile of garbage or human waste in your neighborhood because it can, and, and we all fear it could lower our property values or create an unsafe situation or an unlivable situation. So we thought we got to do as much as we can to reduce homelessness in the neighborhoods and in the most prolific homeless camps. So a few years ago, we started going out and visiting these camps. I guess it was a couple of years ago. And um, a few years ago, we designed it. A couple of years ago, we started going out regularly. And now we have two vans. One, one van goes out uh, five nights a week, Sunday night through Thursday night. And the other van follows up the next day and really follows through with people we meet who need to move out of the neighborhood and helps relocate them or get them to services. And so uh, we're going out Sunday night through Thursday night, and then another van goes out Monday through Friday. And uh, and, and we might get to the point where we could extend it to seven days a week. Um, there are there tend to be more services uh, on the weekends. And it's a little harder for us to stage out of Old Town because they shut the streets off, and that's where our vans park. Yeah. But um, right now, it's a great, great thing with uh, you know where we got ten days of search and rescue going out to the most needy camps. Who is on the team of the Union Gospel Mission Search and Rescue Program? Who who goes out? Well, we've got uh, uh, great coordinators who uh, all were ho- formerly homeless, and uh, and then we've got really great. Uh, great community development-minded staff. And so it's a combination of staff and our life change guys who really still have a heart for those who are out, or our life change women. We've had a couple of life change women who do outreach to the women in the homeless camps. And so right now it's great to see Jennifer and Carol out on those, and, and they do an outstanding job. And then blended with staff and our life change men or women, we have volunteers, and we have a great committed core of regular volunteers. And then we have, I know we had like last night, a reporter from, a journalist from Germany who's in the area and is doing some writing and looking into Portland's homelessness, and she went out with us. And so, you know, we have 
every, everyone from regular volunteers to one-timers who just want to go out and see what's going on in these homeless camps and want a safe way to kind of get up close and to do something positive. And so that's, that's search and rescue. What kind of obstacles have you guys run into over the last couple of years since you've been doing this? Um, one obstacle is the perception of the neighborhoods. Um, I think some people think that if you do something kind for a homeless person, you're going to be fostering more homelessness, or you're going to be encouraging that person to hunker down and stay um, active as a homeless person in a given neighborhood. We're making it easier. We're being encouraging. And to be truthful, what we're most interested in and what most of our efforts are is to get that person out of the neighborhood, not by force, but by encouragement. So we want to be a communicator of a more hopeful, satisfying life outside the neighborhood where that person's camped. And so we, we get about that. We ask the question, what are the hurdles for this person to get out of the camp? Some of those hurdles are really easy to deal with. I'll say, and I've said here, homelessness is complicated, but sometimes the one or two obstacles that has a person stuck in homelessness are doable, and, and our outreach team can get, get after that. But I think the biggest hurdle is uh, the perception by the neighborhood that this is going to encourage homelessness, which it's not, and, and sometimes the perception or the false beliefs of the homeless person that I can't make it outside of this area. So both of those are kind of psychological beliefs that I think can be overcome. And, I, you know, I want to tell the neighbors, we're here to help, not to hurt. We're here to, to offer solutions out of homelessness, not to facilitate the continuation of homelessness. And to those who are listening who feel defeated and like, I can't elevate, I'm a constant victim, I want to introduce you to scores of people and some of the people on the search and rescue van who themselves have come out of homeless camps and now are living satisfied, successful lives. Yeah, that's got to be a big one is to try to convince somebody in that situation that there is a future. Yeah, you know, and it's going to be harder for me, Gary, to convince them because people will look at me and say, well, you were a trial lawyer and, you know, you've never been out on the streets like this. And, you know, I could try to start to defend it and say, well, I, I had an alcohol problem and, it, you know, it just doesn't translate. But when someone who they know or whose story is familiar to them mm -hmm. lived down on the streets and they, from personal experience, can say, hey, a year ago I was out here, like we have at the, at the mission. Mike Miller, who is one of the founders of our search and rescue program, and he's now working in a different job. But when he started with it, he could look a guy in the face and say, I was stuck for five or six years out in a, in a ditch in a homeless camp. And I was deeply distrustful. But, you know, I've, I've learned that these people mean what they say. They really do care, and there really is a hopeful future. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of glad, Gary, that, that Mike's moved on and he's working a good job and and he's not forever shackled to the homeless camps we have about a minute or so here bill i want to know what do you see in the future for search and rescue what's coming up on the horizon well i would love to develop a uh, a, a model program where we can go in depth in one neighborhood and take an accurate, complete census of all the unsheltered homeless people in that one neighborhood. And we could rally together all the resources in the neighborhood, whether it's businesses or churches or volunteers or groups, and we can come up with a unified approach to how to 
how can that neighborhood agree that we can uh, provide better alternatives to homeless camps in this neighborhood? And that might mean that the neighborhood itself cites a small shelter. That might mean that the neighborhood itself wants to put a single-room occupancy complex in there or support a permanent supportive housing program or welcomes uh, really motivated people who are experts in this area to come in and help help uh, move people out of unsheltered, illegal, unsanitary homeless camps into a positive, supported, hopeful, and, and empowering place. If there's people listening out there, and I certainly hope there are, that want to get involved and help out the Union Gospel Mission, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you? I think the easiest way is to go to our website, ugmportland.org. Uh, UGM, Union Gospel Mission, Portland.org, because everything's on there. If you want to get help, it's on there. If you want to get involved as a volunteer, it's on there. And of course, if you want to give, it's on there. And uh, search and rescue uh, always needs support because there are hard costs in queuing up the van, paying the staff, you know, getting gas in the van, insuring the van, and then going out to to get homelessness on the decrease in your neighborhood. We sure appreciate your support. Well, the Union Gospel Mission is, Union Gospel Mission is always doing great work. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. I, I really appreciate uh, your mindset on this, too. We've been talking today with Bill Russell, Executive Director of the Union Gospel Mission. Thanks again. Metroscope is an Intercom Radio Portland public affairs program. I'm Gary Bloxham. If you're involved with a nonprofit or public affairs organization, or if you have an idea for an upcoming show, I'd like to hear from you. Visit MetroscopePDX.com and submit your ideas. You can also go to this station's website and submit your information there. Thanks for listening to Metroscope and enjoy the rest of your weekend. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.